Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. And welcome back to Vox Pro Studios, where we take a deep audio dive into world-class customer experience, innovation, and digital transformation. My name is Patrick Hawhey, and my guest this episode is the founder of a voice-activated customer service platform designed to make the smart home easier to operate. As our homes become ever more connected and complex with a proliferation of IoT devices, the amount of customer experience we require is increasing dramatically. But delivering that customer support properly is a problem. And that's where Alan Coleman spotted an opportunity. The story of where he got the idea for Sweeper, his customer service platform, is a really, really interesting one. And that's where Alan and I kicked off the conversation. This is Vox Pro Studios. Alan Coleman, founder of Sweeper, you're very welcome to Vox Pro Studios. Thank you very much. Nice um, to be here. Uh, so listeners are going to think maybe I'm starting in a strange place but um, with a strange question, but this, this uh, is very, very pertinent to uh, where you are today. So f- can you explain and describe uh, how your son's love of gaming led to a company that you are now um, doing very, very well with? Uh, sure, yeah. Like, uh, it was uh, one of a couple of incidents that uh, probably kind of piqued my interest into the area. But uh, specifically on, on that, um, you know, uh, like many uh, 12 to 13 year old boys, he um, has lost a portion of his life uh, investing it in uh, uh, Fortnite and other games and FIFA, etc. And because that's become more meaningful him to to him than his parents or siblings, mm-hmm. um, he takes great umbrage at not being able to play his game or something going wrong. Uh, and he he like much like his father, he seeks to apportion blame very rapidly. So um, he complained to me that the Wi-Fi wasn't up to spec and it was constantly skipping and he couldn't play his game. And I, you know, I was asked to, you know, to address it immediately, drop everything. So it started to look at what was happening with our Wi-Fi, which was having some intermittent you know, problems. Um, and, you know, over, you know, relatively quickly, I was able to kind of figure it out and, and get him up and running. But what dawned on me through the process was that uh, in order for him to have good game playing experience, there were something like seven or eight different systems that had to act in concert and cooperate in order for uh, you know his gaming experience to be to be to be good, and um, uh, it also further dawned on me that most of those things in that chain had no relationship to each other, right? So you had you know a, a gaming service uh, that sat on a. a with a game producer which sat on a television set which ran on an Xbox which needed an extender which needed the router which needed the network and uh, and you know you could even go further like there's there's the the headphones and so various other components and pieces that all jigsaw together to give him good gaming experience and what what occurred to me at that point was this seemed like it's, it's a precursor to the sort of way connectivity is is seeping into our homes and the way uh, some of the jobs we do today which are relatively simple like you know put on the heat when it's cold uh, or or you know put on the alarm uh, when you're leaving the house when those jobs when those machines start having not being self-contained when they rely on a network or rely on some other product then suddenly the cust- the homeowner's job of figuring out what's gone wrong has suddenly become a lot more complicated. And in there was where I, th- I-, I thought there was a problem that needed solving. 
and a very and a very big problem and a growing problem, which we'll which we'll get to in a few moments because the market is is uh, expanding rapidly uh, yeah. in this area. Yeah. So what so what was your solution, and what is your solution? So so Sweeper is um, a, uh, a cloud based platform that effectively moves uh, the way in which we solve a problem from sitting within the call center to sitting within your home. So what it does is it basically allows the customer to articulate the problem in any way they feel capable. So um, they can speak it verbally into a voice assistant. They can type it into a chatbot. They can speak it into an app. And they express it as best they can. Uh, We don't rely exclusively on what the customer describes, but we use that as a prompt. So you might say, I can't watch my show on TV. And we might then say, okay, well, we know Alan's watching a show on TV. Uh, so, um, uh, but let's check the network first. And let's check if that television set is sitting well on the network. And let's check, let's ask Alan what service he's watching. Are you, you know, am I watching Sky or are you watching Netflix? And I might say I'm watching Netflix. And by the way, is this question come an automa- Is this yeah, an automated? this question will come back and forth. So we're basically trying to take what you've described, which which more than likely and most often is a symptom, uh, rather than maybe than mm. the root cause, and we're and we're relying on diagnostics, uh, technical measurements from the network and from the devices, to to basically validate what actually is the root cause. And then once we figured out what the root cause is, we then can do one of, say, call it three things. We can fix it. So potentially it might be change the setting on the router, reboot the router, uh, reconnect the television set to the router. Potentially, and probably more often, it's an explanatory Mm. step where it's, I can't make the change that's necessary, but I can tell you what the change is. Turn it off and on again. Yeah. It's a type thing. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Or it might be educational. It might be to explain to you, oh, actually, the signal, the strength of the signal to your television set is too weak to allow you to stream because the television set is in the loft or in the attic. Uh, Or there may be some other impediment. Um, And then finally, if I can't guide you through it or I can't fix the problem, then the system does is it takes everything it's seen and observed, takes what you described, and it raises a ticket for a human agent to work the problem uh, and when they've figured out what the answer is to call you back. So the philosophy being we either fix the problem or we take the problem off the customer's hands as quickly as possible. And is that human agent a, a sweeper? No. No, so you, you send it to the this, company responsible exactly. for the so service. Exactly, so sweeper basically would be a platform deployed by the product company or the service provider who today is responsible gotcha. for the provision of technical support. So this yeah. is just a way for them to to deliver hopefully an improved customer experience at a, at a fraction of the current cost. Yeah. And and in doing so, uh, you know, and in, in doing that, it enables them to, to, you know, make the customer happier effectively because you don't have this obligation to wait in line to talk to an agent. And, yeah. Right, so that's, uh, that's the philosophy. But basically from the offset, the, the customer... Uh, is being listened to and feels like something is happening, which um, is often the frustration absolutely. that you feel like it's not. Yeah, so so one of the key, so there's, 
there's two key we, we, we talk about this being a contextually adaptive platform and, and it's the context that we're like most interested in basically we figured out that if we were going to try to do the seemingly impossible which is make it cheaper and make it better at the same time then we'd have to do take elements of what the really great customer agents do and, and, and actually the underpinning motivation for why we call call centers. We call call centers because we are believe that the human at the other end of the line has the, has the data, has the authority has, and systems and uh, to help us fix our problem and has the communication skills to walk us through it. And that's why we sit in line to talk to a human to get this mm. resolved. So if we're going to try to do that but with, with remove the dependency on a human in a call center, we have to take some elements of that. So the diagnostics, the ability to make a change, and some elements of the empathy and communication into this new automated platform. And that's kind of – there are two big things that we have done in Sweeper. One is work off the diagnostics. And the second is make sure that the content we share and, and mm -hmm. how we talk to people – changes and 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 adapts to people of different levels of technical competency and is that a, as a machine learning function in the background or well it's it does it yes there's two aspects to it the first aspect is real domain depth and knowledge around customer experience and to that end um we were lucky enough to uh, find uh, a lady who became our head of customer experience who has a PhD in cognitive psychology with a specialty in how people follow technical instruction. That was her research. That was her PhD. And nice within, find. It was a nice find. It was a nice find. Yeah, we were very fortunate. Uh, and, and Melanie, uh, who is based in Memphis, uh, developed a whole, th you know, a whole thesis and a whole vocabulary driven by research on how different types of people react and need, uh, the different types of help different types of people need to get them through technical instruction. And we embed that within the software. And then the machine learning steps in to try to learn which pathways work best for which types of customers. It's fascinating. Yeah. And is that does that, uh, you mentioned that that is based in the States, so is, is this, a, it, it, does this have cultural differences? So would, are you a global company, I suppose is the first question. Well, we are, absolutely, we're a global company, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you're right that there is nuances in, in cultural, definitely in cultural differences. And Melanie would kind of employ someone, you know, within a, a given geography to assist. But, the broad brushstrokes uh, are kind of common. Mm. So and, and by that, I mean like a confident person who's technically capable wants pithy, direct, quick steps that they can quickly move through and complete the tasks. On the other end of the scale, you, we have what we call avoidant people who don't like technical instruction, get a bit disorientated and feel uncomfortable. They need a different vocabulary, but they also need more psychological encouragement. So they need to be have a better orientation of where they are in the process and are they being successful. So that they're the two ends of the scale. Yeah. So best case scenario, you have empowered the customer to solve their own problem, which is which is in incredibly good for the, the, the service provider because they feel good yeah. as a result. But worst case scenario, you're actually delivering the the human agent in the in the background um, a, a very sort of well worked out brief 
Correct. By the time they actually start to work Absolutely. on the problem, which yeah. must also be fantastic for the for, for the for the agent. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, it's. I think it's. Um, it's. It's one of the things that we wanted to make sure was that, like, I noticed in most of the care models that existed today, the quality of the care as perceived by the customer was influenced by that customer's ability to articulate the problem they're having. So if a non-technical person struggles to describe what's happening and can't really share too much technical detail, it makes it much more difficult for the agent then to help them quickly, right? They have to take them more slowly through the process. So in some ways, we wanted to kind of bypass that, not not put the obligation on the customer to nail it every time they describe the problem, Mm. but for us to be able to kind of you know, use that as a contributing data point, but there are other data points that are also really helpful in solving the problem. Yeah, that's really interesting. So back to this idea of the size of the problem, obviously be the key to the size of any company is the size of the problem, uh, which is taps into the size of the market. So w- what market are you looking at? Is it the, the future of I- IoT devices within homes and connected devices? Is that is that where your, where your projections lie? So uh, today, yeah, so cer- certainly the proliferation of connected devices uh, is making this problem uh, expand and, and be more prevalent and, and creating more complexity. Uh, but even today, there are there's hundreds of billions of dollars spent by um, by mostly by ISPs uh, helping their customers with the already existing levels of connectivity. So. You know, there's one customer um, or one one um, uh, customer in the U.S. that we've we've done some work with previously, who spends every year about two billion dollars uh, across their 28 million subscribers uh, with in providing just technical support. Wow! Right, so they're really really staggeringly big numbers. Um, uh, and then what's interesting is you have this all the newer entrants into the connected home are your more traditional white goods. So all of the organi- companies that make, you know, fridges, dishwashers, washing machines, they all have a strategy of connecting all mm. of those devices. And they're not doing it out of some level of altruism or it's because everyone's begging for these connected devices mm. to come into the kitchen. They're doing it because it's a, it facilitates them building new business models on top of just selling you a device. Like your washing machine, for example. Yes. So the biggest opportunity for washing machine manufacturers is to sell you washing powder, right? Or washing tablets. So they've been looking at this for years and watching Procter & Gramble and Unilever dine out on selling you Purcell and Bowl and Ariel and everything else. And they're saying, well, hang on, that's my device. Why shouldn't I, if I connected that device, I'd know when it was empty. If I knew when it was empty, uh, and I designed the machine in a certain way, I could almost create a kind of uh, net, net presso effect um, yeah. in that, like, so I, I have a, a washing machine at home. Normal enough, it was connected. I didn't actually specifically go looking for a connected one, but it has two cartridges of detergent that slot into it that are kind of uniquely shaped. And when, it, and, and when you put the clothes in, you put on the cycle, and then you don't do anything else. And it injects the right amount of detergent and conditioner into the wash, right? Yeah. Um, but then when those things empty, it a little message comes on my phone and it says, do you want some more? Yes, please. And it will ship them to me and they'll arrive and I'll put them in. And, and then so I'm no longer in my weekly shop 
or uh, do we have to go and get detergent for the for that machine? And so, we're only going to see more and more of this. Uh, it's absolutely uh, like it's it's definitely the way things will progress. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the pressure on the ISPs to actually just deal with that amount of pressure on the system and the infrastructure well, must be incredible. It, so it creates all sorts of challenges. Uh, so the ambition for connected products is as described to unlock this kind of treasure trove of new revenues. However, they aren't, they aren't there yet, right? And so what they're doing is connecting all these devices, but their knowledge of how to create a simply connectable device is pretty poor. As such, um, the rates of connectivity of these devices, even of the ones that are connectable, are quite low. So customers are generally not succeeding in managing to get these things on the home network because it's still a little bit tricky. Um, and that presents a huge challenge for those device manufacturers because you consider it, um, those organizations are re- work on relatively thin margins and they connect those products and then they suddenly get this influx of new calls about these connected devices. Um, they Their economic model doesn't support ongoing support, you know, supporting a connected product like an ISP does. An ISP has your monthly charge. They're charging you, you know, 50 euro, 60 euro a month. And then they're offsetting that 60 euro a month against whatever costs to support you. Connected products don't have that model. You pay them 500 euros every five or six years. Mm. So there's a real um, uh, um, imbalance between the strategy and the vision and the, co- the rea- economic reality of how much it costs to care for a connected product. And and it's in this gap that we're mm. working with both product companies and ISPs to solve that problem. Because like you said with your, your son at the start, he's expecting and demanding a seamless experience so he can just yeah. do his thing. He doesn't care what's happening in the background no. and how many things have to go on. No. And that's the reality of the modern customer is the expectation and the demand for a seamless experience. So it's it's it may be worrying to a certain extent that with all the... That with with what you just described, it does not match up to a seamless experience. No. So something something needs to to make that work. It's a huge struggle. I mean, you even saw recently like Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, all coming together in one alliance called the, uh, under the auspices of something called the Zigbee Alliance, all trying to solve how do we get all our respective products playing nice with each other? Mm. Because they themselves recognize, and they're you know uh, died in the wool. Enemies of each other, but they know they can't. No one organization can solve this uh, ubiquitously for the customer because our homes are full of all sorts of stuff from all sorts of providers, and we need to find. If we're not going to generate an absolute nightmare for the customer, there needs to be these common standards and these common approaches to solving problems. Um, as our homes be- become more connected and our devices become more connected. The, the whole issue around data security and, and all of that is, comes into play. Yeah. Do we still have a way to go in terms of people trusting devices and connect, connectivity and the data they're sharing? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a constantly moving um, battle between, you know, um, how, we, how we consider privacy um you know what? What you know? Whether we fully appreciate cybersecurity threats. So, for example, if you were to ask people, you know, what do you think about cybersecurity? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I would argue that most people would say, yeah. Generally speaking, I would like my home and my devices to be secure, and 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 
you know, to what extent do you expect that to be the case? And where this book starts to become problematic, though, is where a lot of ISPs have come and said, oh, would you pay uh, maybe, you know, five euro a month for me to secure all your devices? No. No, well, thank you. <laughs> right, and and like countless, yeah. It's a, yeah. Now it's like so. So now it's an embedded cost of doing business that there's an expectation on both the product manufacturers and the ISPs who run the networks. Well, I'm not paying you more. You just need to make sure that that's totally secure. But making that ecosystem totally secure is not trivial, mm. and it's, and it's expensive. Mm. So we just kind of disconnect between customers' um, expectations. Uh, and their willingness to contribute to the task of making sure that everything is secure. So what's happening in that space is um, ISPs. So recently, a lot of ISPs are rolling out products built on their Wi-Fi, um, one of which is cybersecurity. So they're partnering with, with other software manufacturers who specialize in this area. But I think what started out as an expectation that this could be sold as a value-adding service is now becoming apparent that this is just basically, the, you know, the ticket for entry, right? Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. there's an, ex- uh, an expectation that that security is embedded within the network, uh, which layers a, a cost onto the ISP to, to to stand still, right? So so there's a lot of change happening in, in that area. Um, but what will happen over time, I believe, is that maybe some of those cybersecurity costs are borne by the product companies who don't want the reputational damage of their device being the weak point right and and so you'll you'll see a lot of innovation and change in that space i think on that do you think that today's customers are expecting too much is there are there unrealistic expectations has the pendulum swung the other way that bit too far from companies and products running the show and telling people what they're getting yeah to now are we are we has the pendulum swung so far that people are expecting so much no i well no i i i think um i i think you can't um you can't you know people will have these expectations and i think it's fair to expect that if you want me to kind of uh, to 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 go into this connected world, if you want to sell me connectivity, if you want to encourage me to use OTT services to be entertained, and you want to sell me security products uh, for my home secure physical security, that I also expect you not to create um, uh, to open me up to threats or make me susceptible to uh, you know uh, people who would uh, want to steal data, etc. So I don't think it's an unrealistic expectation. I do think um, that uh, there's a big educational gap between how all of this works. It's it's mm. quite it's quite complicated. Yeah. And I don't think people really understand what it what it involves. Um, and no one's ever 100% secure because obviously, well, actually, the weakest point of any system is probably the person because you can be socially hacked right, or you yeah. can be convinced or tricked into doing something. Most systems are naturally secure until you decide to click on the wrong email, right, and yeah. open the wrong attachment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think you can ever point the finger at the customer and say you're expecting too much because that's not a good strategy. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not. And speaking of 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 CX strategy, are the are your customers primarily the, the uh, ISPs? Uh, primarily the ISPs, and by virtue of the fact that they have the most connected devices and spend the most money on care for connected products today. Yeah. Okay. But they're also the product companies who 
are coming into this space and wanting to prepare for how they care for these connected products when they become more mass market. So what's what's your and what's Sweeper's strategy around customer care? How do you look after your customers? What's your approach to that? Um, that's a very good question. Um, so, well, I mean, our our customers are the large ISPs, generally speaking, and these and these companies. Um, we uh, we invest in a function called customer success. Uh, customer success is a function in the business that's tightly aligned to our customers' success metrics. Mm. Right. So we when we engage with a customer, need to understand what does success look like for you? And success doesn't have to be a quantitative success. I mean, it generally speaking is, as in you spend less money on care, but it's what's probably really more important for them is to know that their customers are happier with them. Retention. Yeah. And, yeah. and they and they think about things like propensity to buy. So if you like me, you'll buy more from me. And they think of propensity to churn. If you don't like me, you're more likely to leave me. And those are, you know, uh, those are really um, important metrics for those companies. So our customer success function um, is not someone who is trying to sell. They don't we don't we don't make them. uh, They're not like a a part of our selling organization. They're independent consultants focused on on really being tightly aligned to helping our customers be successful. But. We never lose sight of the fact that it's our customers' customers. If our yeah. customers' customers are happy, yeah. then our customers will be happy. Yeah. So that's why we have this really laser focus on 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 the design and the CX experience and the visual design and the verbal design and and it's the customers' customer. That's the that's the kind of muse for how we build our experiences. Um, and speaking of the user experience, do you believe? And uh, you mentioned that a lot of your interaction with the the customer is through voice. Yeah. Um, do you believe that voice will become the next interface? Yes. Yeah. No. I I, I strongly believe that um, that the friction. So when something goes wrong in your home, and you mutter an expletive under your breath. And then you try to think, how am I meant to contact these guys to tell them there's something wrong? And then you maybe open up your laptop and then you go to the website and you dig around looking for wherever the spot is and you can't find the phone number, but you try the WhatsApp chat, but the chat doesn't quite work. And all of this rigmarole that that comes today, um, I think all of that's friction. And, and, uh, and what I, uh, I have a little graph and it says like, you know, when the customer has a problem, so you've got to say a customer has a certain level of satisfaction with you generally. When they have a problem, that level of satisfaction sinks. If you recover quickly from that that customer satisfaction from that sinking back up quickly, you might actually gain a little bit higher because if you deal with it really quickly, they might say, "Oh, that's mm. really good to it," and you might go a little bit higher than you started out with. However, the longer that that line dips and goes lower, you certainly you definitely hit a point where you can never get back to how happy they were with you before the problem and so um so we're trying to um address the the recovery of you know post the problem as quickly as possible and so all of that friction of getting help asking for help that elongates the time it takes to get back to a happy customer voice uh, eradicates all of that because as soon as you're able to say what's wrong with the bloody TV mm. 
that is the commencement of, oh, mm. let me see what's wrong with the TV. And so voice, what we should talk about is providing care at the moment of need. Mm. And so voice is a, a really important medium, I think, for for that, because um, voice assistants, uh, people express themselves verbally, particularly non-technical people find it easier to express themselves verbally. And then they can capture that. And, the, and as soon as they've said the words, the problem-solving process has begun, not 40 minutes later. Yeah. Right, so that's the... This is a slightly tan- tangential question, but do you believe that voice will overcome... It, to become the big interface, it has to, I suppose, overcome the discoverability problem? Oh, absolutely. So that, that, that it, we're still at the really early days of, of, of this technology. Um, um, what we'll find is that voice will become a little bit uh, less focused on a speaker, or a particular, you know, um, a particular thing won't be the voice assistant. The voice assistant will exist embedded within the products we have anyway within our home. So um, Alexa, for example, um, already is embedded within 100,000 devices, Mm. okay? And so the manifestation of it being a speaker or something that kind of glows and and you think is listening to you... um, it will will eventually, I think, disappear. Not may not, you know, totally disappear. It still may be an option, but I think increasingly you'll find voice and just embedded in everyday. It becomes products. like a button. Yeah, like for example, just to kind of uh, give you a view on where things are happening. Um, one of the big uh, use cases for connected light bulbs is location tracking, uh, and so in voice, your light bulb will eventually be able to tell where you are in your home and know what you're looking at and therefore know what voice assistant you're engaging with when you say, what's wrong with this thing, right? So the the way in which the technology is beginning to figure out who you are, where you are, and what you want, that is, that's increasing at a, an exponential rate. To really freak you out, Apple patented recently during the week, it was announced that Apple had patented a millimeter wave technology that could detect your heartbeat uh, using on, on the Wi-Fi signal oh, um, and therefore identify who you are because the heartbeat pattern was unique. And so they would know who you were by just virtue of the fact that you're standing in your home using that. Now, how that did freak me out. I, I have to say. <laughs> so uh, I'm, that's why we need regulation. But like, yeah. um, but like the technology unencumbered can do some amazing things. That is a, that is fascinating. Yeah. Go, like and they, and all happening quite quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. Like like, like uh, you know like and and I mean as a general point that's kind of the big challenge for our society. Like the rate of innovation is so quick. And the, the the way in which we as, as a society adjust to new technology, you know, um, it's becoming more and more difficult to play catch up to the technology. It used to be that a new technology would maybe take a decade or two yeah. to kind of become, you know, proliferate. But now this technology is emerging and, and disrupting industries, you know, within a span of a year or two years, right? It's so quick. So, so that's, you know... It's a challenge. And that's so, so would you say that one of the big future trends then around customer experience is going to be immediacy, solving a problem beginning Absolutely. immediately? So yeah. you've described there how you're doing it now, but, you know, maybe when in, in time when your heart rate goes up before you can yeah. even verbalize that you have a problem there's to a detect. Whole, yeah, there's a whole, like, there's a whole strategy as well, of course, about, you know, um, 
uh, preempting the issue, like looking for the, the the leading signals that indicate something's going to happen, and and those can relate to your network or to your to your heart, mm. right? So, you know, so this this uh, proactivity and looking for leading indicators of 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 things to, yet to happen and and triaging them before the thing happens. That's a big trend as well. Now, we we look at proactivity as a, a really exciting opportunity as well, but. The truth is you'll never get the person out of the equation. You'll never engineer away every problem. So that's why um, our emphasis is on how we interact with the, with the customer and mm. making sure that you know, they're part of the, of the process of solving any problems that occur. So one of my final questions uh, to turn the tables, can you describe or can you name a company that you believe offers really, really great customer experience? Yeah. So... Uh, uh, there's a company, an Irish company called And Open. And they were guests on Vox Pro Studios just a, a few months ago. Oh, were they? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Jonathan's a great guy. And um, uh, I, I've, I've sat with Jonathan and kind of we've shared our respective <laughs> visions for, 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 for what we are doing. And, and, you know, how I listened or heard what he's trying to build with And Open is, you know, um, if you like, contextually adaptive gifting. Like, understanding the best way to to gift or, or to provide help to or gifting to a customer based on the context of the situation they find themselves in. So, for example, um, they do a lot of work with Airbnb and he was describing, you know, the, the, th- the way I help you when you're locked out of your Airbnb on a rainy night and you're in your mid-twenties um, uh, might be different than if you're a family of five mm. And, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon, all of these different contexts. So one might be uh, go to the bar and get yourself a couple of drinks and I'll rebook you somewhere. And the other might be, you know, something else that's more appropriate for the situation they're in. So um, it's I like the combination of that data driven um, establishment of the context, what's happening and how should I make the decision. And now I also love the fact that they just have such good taste in the sort of gifts yeah. and things that they <clears throat> that they choose and it, it, they're meaningful and they they say something so i think i love that combination i yeah. think that's a that's a really he's really a designer at heart yeah really. yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and the i stuff think is fantastic and i think that about all software companies i think you know you're missing a trick if you aren't embedding design and experience into your software mm. at all points mm. i mean it's uh, like creating a competitive advantage in the long term based on technology alone is almost impossible these days. So you need always to be looking at the kind of a multidisciplinary approach to solving any problem so that you create something unique and something that is difficult to compete with. And that makes you stand out. Yeah. Um, And then finally, just just a few months ago, I think you, uh, Sweeper, raised a great amount of capital for to to expand the scale and to do whatever you've got in your vision. So what, what is that? What is the next few years looking like? Well, the next few years is about kind of um, trying to uh, deploy and, and realize some of what I've just shared about like th- building out those experiences. <laughs> We're working with um, organizations that represent millions of, of homes and households, both in Europe and in um, and in the US. Um, so the capital we raised was about you know building the team up to a size capable of, of fulfilling that demand and realizing the ambition we have for and the vision that we've, we've shared with the marketplace. Um, and also 
um, beginning to look at um, some adjacent opportunities around um, the support data and content that's needed to feed this system. Because uh, that's there's, there's a there's you know when you when you think about this space and then you uh, about the the care within the home, uh, you quickly begin to realize well there's other challenges you know how do I get all that support content and support diagnostics and how does one entity share it with another entity so we're looking at some some new innovations around that space too so yeah and as founder of Sweeper how are you feeling right now about all this is it is it incredibly exciting energizing daunting all of the above. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, it's well, certainly energizing and exciting because I, you know, I'm really passionate about the vision we have, and I think it's I I love when it's validated when you go out and you talk mm. to people, they nod their heads who who are living with the problem and kind of going this you know this really is a problem and the idea and the solution seems credible, um, but also daunting like it's like um startups and scaling businesses from where we are to where we need to get to. Um, it the, the, there's so much variability, so much risk, you know, in terms of who do you hire, the talent you build, what deals you pursue, which deals you don't pursue. How you, you know, so there's so many varying parts that you have to get right, uh, and more often than not, it's easier to get them wrong than right. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, so like, but it makes life to be super interesting, right? So every day is a new challenge and I, I really thoroughly enjoy the process. So well, it's good. that's very clear from from your interview. You really yeah. do speak and you, you break it down very, very simply as well. Um, so I found this fascinating. Thanks. So Alan Coleman, founder of Sweeper, continued success and thanks very much for joining us here on the Vox Studios today. Thanks Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Vox Pro Studios. We will be back soon with another deep audio dive into world-class customer experience, innovation, and digital transformation. Subscribe or follow so that you don't miss it, and we will catch you soon. Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International.